I find it absolutely crazy that Thanksgiving is this week because Halloween was yesterday. I don't, I've, I've lost my grip on the ability to hold on to time. It just, it just slips right through. Um, but regardless of that, I do love Thanksgiving, okay? I love it when um, built in, this, again, to our culture. This isn't a religious holiday necessarily. It's built into our culture, this specific time when we're at least supposed to attempt to stop and be thankful for what we have in our life. And um, that is incredibly important, especially for those of us who are Christians, if we don't do this regularly. Um, we said two weeks ago that if we don't appreciate what God has given us, then we're never going to be the kind of people who can really show the kind of generosity and grace to others that God has shown to us. We've got to appreciate what he's done first before we can be the kind of people who show that same love to others. And what we have said, though, all throughout this series is that God is so incredibly, ridiculously generous to all of us. And when we let that sink into the deepest parts of who we are, we just more naturally become the kind of people who are able to pour that grace and mercy out onto other people. We kind of, it's almost like he just dumps barrels and barrels and barrels of his goodness onto us, and eventually that just starts to overflow out, and it changes how we live, and it changes how we see people and the needs that we bump into in the lives of others. Um, so there is no shortage of God's blessings in our lives. Um, even if the only good thing you receive in your life is the salvation of Jesus, you've still got the best thing that you could be given, the only real gift that you actually ever need, uh, this eternal gift that not only saves you now, but it sets you up to have hope beyond the pain and struggle of this life that gets you um, through this life so that you can see what God has for all eternity. And as Paul says, um, when we see the glory of what God has planned for us beyond this life, it'll make even the worst problems of this world seem like tiny little you know, road bumps and potholes and, and speed bumps in the way. Now, the thing I do know is that everyone here has been blessed far beyond just receiving the thanks or the, the salvation of Jesus. And despite us all being people who are blessed so much, we have this built-in natural gift to whine and complain about all of it. It's so strange how negative we can be as human beings. Our ability to be ungrateful is so impressive that it's what I think in like 2,000 years from now is written about us in the history books. Like that's what I think kids in school 2,000 years ago should be reading about this period of prosperity and you know, just general blessing about how we lived. It should say something like, they had every luxury that anyone could ever want, and they whined about all of it. Like, that should be a chapter in their history books about us. They had a house that kept them safe and dry from the elements, but they were grumpy because it didn't have the right kind of countertops, or the windows weren't as energy efficient as they could have been. Uh, they had magic machines that with the press of a button Sometimes from their phone, they didn't have to be home, with the press of a button, it would take the air in their house and make it a comfortable temperature, regardless of what the weather was outside, and they whined because it was too expensive. They had refrigerators filled with food, so they never went hungry, but that one thing inside of the fridge had tomatoes in it, and they didn't really like tomatoes, and so they didn't want to eat that, you know? And so we, we, we had this incredible ability 
compared to human history before us. We have immense blessing and we whine about so much of it. And, you know, um, when my kids, we'll eat out on Fridays, we have family movie night, we go get food out somewhere, we sit, we pick a movie, we all sit around in the, and put a blanket on the floor and we eat and watch a movie. And if an order for one of my kids comes back messed up, you know, we don't catch it till we get home, they'll start to have a come apart. Oh, oh no! And like kind of cry and be upset about it. And I want to be like, no, stop it, it's still fine. Just scrape it off, pick it off, whatever, it's okay. But here's the, difference, the thing though. I know that if my order's wrong, I do the same thing. I just don't, throw, I just, I'm not like making an outward appearance of it. I'm just sitting there going, put sour cream on my taco. I don't like sour cream. It's ruined. Movie night's ruined. Life is ruined. You know, that's what I, I just don't like. I'm just not like throwing things and flipping tables. It's just happening internally. So like I get onto them, but I know I'm just as bad when something doesn't go my way, even when it's something very, very small. And I'll tell you this, for years I've wondered that maybe our problem isn't necessarily just our attitudes, but I wonder if, if maybe we just have too much. Maybe we are just as, like, for in our, in our generations of prosperity, maybe we've just kind of gotten a little bit spoiled. And because we don't have real needs anymore, like, will I survive the winter? You know, historically speaking, like, most children didn't make it to adulthood. That's not our problem. Now we don't have these kind of real big life-ending problems as much. And so it's almost like, well, we don't have problems, so let's invent problems. We don't have anything real to worry about, so let's invent some things to worry about. And I just, you know, I kind of think that maybe it would be good if all of us had to, like, travel the Oregon Trail once, like an early settler. Now, I'm not volunteering myself for that. Because I know I'd be the one to die of dysentery. I've played the game enough to know that that would be me. And so I don't want to be the one doing it. But I think that there'd probably be some positive level of transformation if we knew real struggle anymore. But our chronic ingratitude, and I'll call it chronic ingratitude, it doesn't seem to go away, and having more doesn't seem to fix it. Our chronic ingratitude is a problem in so many ways. One, I think it's an insult to God. I think we have been so blessed by him that our chronic ingratitude is just like every time he gives us something, go, Pfft. it's like if your kid opened every Christmas present on, on Christmas morning, he's like, oh, this isn't quite the one I want. This isn't, and through it, if they did it every single present, what would you do? You'd be like, what is wrong with you? I'm taking all these back. You don't deserve, if you can't be grateful for anything, I'm taking it all back to the store. But I think our chronic ingratitude, I think it's an insult to God. I think it's an insult to people in our world who truly have real needs. You know, we're whining about sour cream on my burrito or my taco or something, you know. And there's people in the world who are like, I hope I, my kid gets to eat this week. You know, I think it's an insult to those people. I think it, it makes us feel less happy and joyful with our lives and less contented because we're looking in for problems where really there aren't any and we're making mountains out of molehills. And I just think that overall, it makes our life more painful than it needs to be. And here's the deal. The, the worst part of it all is that this is something we have chosen to be. Our ingratitude toward the many blessings, our, our constant grumpiness and whining about life, it is a chosen attitude. Gratitude, believe it or not, has very little to do with what you have in your life. 
It has very little to do with what you have in your life. If that were true, then everybody who had more would be super happy, and everybody who had nothing would be miserable. But we've all met people who were spoiled because they had too much, and it didn't make them grateful. It made them entitled. It made them grumpy. It made them want everything to be perfect and specific to their situation. And if it wasn't perfect, then boom. And if you've ever gone on a mission trip to a place in the world that, where people knew real poverty, you will see people who have less stuff than you've ever had, and they're more grateful than you've ever been. So as much as we think, I need more, I need things to be in my way, and then I'll be grateful, that's not how this seems to work. Gratitude is an attitude that is chosen. And ingratitude is an attitude that is chosen. And it is a form, as I'll say, I'll make the case, is I think that ingratitude is a form of chosen blindness. We are choosing to be blind to what God has given us and the goodness that is actually sitting around in our laps. In Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 9, one of the wisest people who ever lived, a man named Solomon, He wrote this, and it's so smart. He says, better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. So he says it's better better the sight that is right in front of your eyes. Better to see and appreciate what is right in front of you, what you have in your grasp, than to always be looking at the things you don't have. He says looking and thinking out there is going to satisfy you, that's a a, a, a ch- tracing vanity. It's, it's meaningless. That's you thinking, once I have more, everything will be fine. He calls it a, I love these when he does this, it's a striving after the wind. Meaning, it's, an, it's a chase that never ends. Like if I sent any one of you outside and I said, don't you come back in until you've got an arm full of wind. I mean, you're not gonna, you could go out there and do this all day long. You're never going to grab onto the thing, you're gonna, the thing you think you're going to grab onto. The same is true when you think more will make me grateful. If I look out there and see what all the other people have and reach for that, that will fix all of my problems. He's the wisest person who ever lived outside of Jesus, and he said it's a meaningless pursuit that will only leave you exhausted but not more satisfied. You can grab and grab and grab, but you'll never get what you're chasing after. And And... Far too many of us, we blame the unhappiness in our lives on the things we don't have or on other issues and and things that we wanted in our life. And so in doing so, when we say, if I just had, everything would be fine. If I could only get, if life would cut me a break, then I'd be happy. In doing that, we are misdiagnosing a problem because the problem is not out here where we think it is. It's in here, in the depths of our hearts where we struggle to be grateful and happy with what God has placed into our hands. And so if you have no joy in your life, it probably isn't because of bad luck. It's probably not your spouse's fault. It's probably not because your kids are too rowdy and your family too problematic. Chances are the problem with your constant disapproval with your life lies somewhere within your heart. Because gratitude and ingratitude are both just chosen attitudes. They are you choosing to see and appreciate what God has given you or to not. And yes, let me just say, there will be moments in life where it seems like life kind of comes in and it kicks you while you're down and things are bad no matter where you look and you have trouble really seeing much in your life to be grateful for. Those moments happen to absolutely everyone and, and, and they, they happen, they just happen, right? But If your constant state of life, whether life is good or bad, whether God is pouring blessings into your life or pulling back, 
If your constant state is ungrateful, unhappy, mopey, whiny, complaining, then that's a choice that you have made to never appreciate what God has given you and the people in your life. So it's always a chosen attitude, and I'll tell you why. Two reasons. One is that grateful people can find a blessing in any situation. Grateful people can find a blessing in any situation. I think one of the greatest examples of this um, you see in the New Testament comes from the life of the Apostle Paul. Uh, He was a Jewish priest turned Christian church planter and pastor. He traveled all over the Roman world telling people who did not want to know about Jesus about Jesus. And sometimes people had their hearts changed, and sometimes people hated what he was doing and made him suffer for it. And um, on several occasions, he found himself in jail, in chains. And, and uh, sometimes that meant he'd be in a jail cell. Sometimes that meant he would be more on like a house arrest. Um, but they didn't have the little beeping ankle monitors, so the ancient Roman equivalent of that was they would put a chain around your ankle that was tied to a Roman guard's ankle. So, you know, does same effect, right? You can't leave the only, he's got probably a sword. That's a little more serious, I guess. And so he finds himself on multiple occasions in prison, without his freedom. Um, He was beaten on a bunch of occasions before they threw him in jail. His life was very difficult. And from one of these stays in jail, he wrote a letter to the church in the Roman city of Philippi. And here's what he says in Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. He says, yes, and I will rejoice. But Paul, didn't they just beat you and throw you in jail? Yeah, but I'm going to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers... And the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is, my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, when you start reading that, it'll turn out for his deliverance. Okay, yeah, he's saying, oh, don't worry, I'm pretty confident Jesus is going to get me out of here. And you're like, oh, no, he means deliverance either way. Either I get out of jail because I get freed or I get out of jail because they took my life and I go to be with Jesus. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is to continue to do the work of Jesus, but to die is better. Now, I love his perspective on this. I mean, how frustrating this must have been. Um, A lot of the Roman, like, punishment system was designed to demoralize you like if they couldn't get these christians to recant they put them through pain and suffering to the so that hopefully they could push them to the point of turning away from jesus they would take away all their hope and make them full of despair how frustrating must it have been for a guy to say okay well here's my options one they let me go sweet i get to go out and see my friends again i get to go tell more people about jesus i win okay They keep me in jail. Option number two. Well, guess what? They've tied me to a guy who happens to be a very captive audience now to hear about Jesus. So they keep me in jail. I'll just preach to this guy that they've chained me to. He's not going anywhere. Option number three, they kill me. Okay, fine. I get to go be with Jesus. That's the biggest win. I leave all the pain and heartache of this world behind. I win. No matter what they did to him, he saw himself as the winner of these outcomes. I mean, you can't You can't crush somebody like that. You can't demoralize somebody like that who is excited about any outcome. No matter what happens to him, he says, bring it on because I win no matter what you do. Now, I can say with 100% certainty 
that not a single one of us would be able to pull that off if we were in his situation. I mean, and here's the thing. He wasn't, like, it wasn't like he lucked out into like Rome's like super cushy luxury prison. Like prisons then were like a hole carved out of rock. There was one uh, prison cell in the city of Rome uh, that I actually got to go to in college once. And it was like, it was just like this cylinder that was like a little too short to stand up in. To be fair, they were probably a little shorter then. Um, but, but in this cylinder, and it was just cold and dark and damp, and there was a hole in the ceiling that they dropped people in through, and a door on the side that if you know, they ever needed, to, the guards would come in through that if they ever needed to. But you know what I, I never saw in this stone cylinder? I didn't see a drain. I didn't see a toilet. I didn't see a microwave. I didn't see a cot. I didn't see a TV with every station you could ever want. There was no Wi-Fi. Like, it was just a hole, a cold hole in the ground. Like, that was a prison in the Roman world. So he wasn't like, you're like, you know, this isn't bad here. No, it was bad there. It was horrible there. And yet his spirits were still elevated. Uh, I once heard a story from a, a church plant out in, I think, um, North Carolina, and it, things had just gone really well for him. God had kind of blessed him, and, and they'd gotten into the rhythm where each week they saw more people come than they did the week before. And so, one, that's exciting, um, but two, it's a little scary because um, one of the pastors, he kind of got to the attitude where he said, you know, you kind of think, too good to be true, seems to be going a little easier than it should, eventually, you know, the shoe's going to drop, and people are going to say, I don't want to hear this guy anymore, and they were going to leave. So he kind of was excited, but still you know how we get. We can be a little pessimistic about even the good things. And so they had one Sunday, though, where they just had this huge torrential rain. And he said it was the first time attendance had gone down in ages, and it dropped by 30%. So a third of the people just said, I'm not getting out in the rain today. And, and he said he was so bummed out because he thought, yep, this is what I've been waiting for. This is it. No one's ever coming back. This was the Sunday when everything fell apart and all the good luck went away. And I, I don't know what I did. And he, maybe I should pray a little harder. You know, you do all the things you think about. And so after the service is over, he's kind of walking around the halls, a little bummed out. And he runs into one of the guys who helps lead their greeting team. And just, you know, out of habit, he says, how things go today? And the guy said, awesome. Oh, man, this rain gave our greeters the chance to shine today. We've had those umbrellas sitting in the corner since we opened this place, and it's never rained yet, so we could use them, and they got to go out and welcome people in with a little extra gusto out in the rain. Oh, man, what a good day, Pastor. And he's like, he said it was a, a huge monumental shift for him. You know, to say, like, I'm here thinking this is the worst Sunday we've ever had. And here's somebody else walking around saying, no, it's the best Sunday we've ever had. Because we got a chance to serve in a way that we've never served before. It's this matter of perspective. People who are grateful can find a blessing in any situation. But the opposite is also true. Because ungrateful people can find a burden in almost any situation. Do you know... What happens if you feed a dog cheap, bottom-of-the-barrel dog food? It's going to go out into your yard a few hours later, and it's going to leave a stinky little landmine out in your yard. Do you know what happens if you feed your dog filet mignon? It's going to go out in your yard and in a few hours later and leave a stinky little landmine. No matter what you feed it, it's going to leave a stinky mess. That's how some of us are. We take no matter what comes our way, good, bad, and all, it comes out a stinky mess. 
We make it a stinky mess. We see it as a stinky mess. We can't see anything for good. Whatever God pours into our life, we find some reason to whine and complain about it. It doesn't matter how good life gets or how many blessings God pours out on us. We still whine about it. And the Bible is filled with examples of this. I think the Bible has way more examples of people being ungrateful than people being grateful. And I think that just reveals a little something about our broken human nature. That there's something about us that wants to have pity and be martyrs and be ungrateful. Um, But I'm going to read a a particularly frustrating example, I think it is anyway. Um, It starts, it's two parts of a story. The first part is in Exodus 16. This is a one month after God has freed these people from slavery in Egypt. So they've lived their whole life doing hard toil, being beaten when they weren't working hard enough, and, and, and totally having no freedom to live their lives as they wished. They were slaves, and God miraculously frees them through a series of plagues on Egypt, and then they, they finally get to leave the cities, and they get to the Red Sea, and they're thinking, oh, we're going to be dead. We can't cross this. The Egyptians are running down our necks. We're, we're in trouble now. God allows Moses to split the Red Sea in half. They walk through on dry ground, and then the water fills in and, and destroys the Egyptian army that was chasing them, allowing them to be free. This is 30 days after that. Here's what they say. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Moses and Aaron kind of co-leading this venture at this point. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. I wish God would have just killed us back then when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. But you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. (laughs) I wish God, if God was just going to kill us, I wish he would have just killed us back then when our bellies were full. Uh, Instead of dragging us out here to walk ourselves to death with empty stomachs. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. So, They're free from oppression for the first time. They're not toiling day in and day out. And all all they can do is whine about that time when their bellies were always full. They said, well, you know, the Egyptians put us through a lot, but at least they gave us food to eat. And they're whining and grumping about it and being all upset. And so God, out of grace, okay, because I think about that. Again, I'm not God, and it's a good reason, because if I would have done all that for those people in freedom, and then they start whining about their bellies, I'd have been like, eh, pfft. Forget you guys, I'll start over with somebody else that can appreciate a blessing. No, God meets their grumbling with, grat- with, with a, another a round of generous grace, and he says, I'm going to start raining out bread from heaven. Every day you guys are going to wake out, and there's just going to be bread on the ground. Uh, it's called manna. It was kind of described like, I don't know, big pieces of frosted flakes. It's kind of hard to really piece together what it is. But every day, you're just going to open up. It's going to be there. You're not going to have to hunt for anything. You're not going to have to sow any grain or farm the ground. None of that. It's just going to be there. Like, boom. What an amazing thing, right? And so God is going to take care of them. Surely they'll be overflowing with gratitude now. But then we get to Numbers chapter 11, verses 4 through 6. It says, Now the rabble that was among them, had a strong craving. Love that. They had a strong craving. And the people 
of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt that cost nothing because you were slaves. The cucumbers, oh, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. How many of you would say that to other people in your life, you put too much garlic in your food, but you say, not enough, ever, okay? Abby's the garlic person. I'm the, I mean, I'm fine with garlic. I just, like, I think she'd just, like, grab a whole head of garlic and just, like, bite it and be fine. But he's like, he's like oh, God, man, all the food, the garlic, and it was so good. He's like, but now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Oh, this manna. I, I love everything about this story because they get so burned out on the manna. They're like, I don't even want to look at it. I don't even want to look at it. How many of you are leftover people? You like good leftovers? And how many of you are like, no, not leftover people. I can eat like a day of leftovers and then I got to start over. Yeah, I'm a leftover person. My family, none of them like leftovers. I can... I love it when we make something that I'm like, this is going to last all week. Excellent. No one's going to think about anything. Fantastic. Like, that's my thinking. But I love that they start whining. I enjoy that it says they had a craving. Like, they're sitting around talking like we do when we had a good meal. You know, oh, my gosh, did you try that? Like, what we're going to be doing later this week after Thanksgiving meals, like, did you try those sweet potatoes? Oh, I love them. Did you try the macaroni, just green bean casserole? And they're, like, just reminiscing. Like, like um, Abby and I do this sometimes. We had a really fancy dinner on our honeymoon, and every now and then they're like, did you remember that one course that had, like, all the cheeses in it? Like, yeah, it was pretty good. Man, you remember that? Like, we do that. That's what they're doing here. They're so sick of looking at it. And I want to be irritated with these people. But yet, I am these people. How many times have I gone to my fridge and it's full of food and I opened it and I didn't want any of that stuff because I had a craving? It's like, I don't want any of this. You know what sounds good? Chick-fil-A sounds good. I could do a little bit of that. I know. By the way, every Sunday that we ever go out to eat, we're like, okay, kids, where do we want to go? One of them will say, Chick-fil-A. We're like, it's not open on Sunday. Me too, but it's not open on Sunday. But here's the saddest thing about this story. They are complaining about, they end up complaining about the very thing that they had begged God to give them. Think about that. They prayed for a blessing, and then when God gave it to them, after a while they stopped seeing that it was good. And they started whining about it. They were so sick of the blessing, they didn't even want to look at it anymore. You know, um, before Abby and I had James, I remember, you know, we, you get to the point where you're like, okay, you know, we're like 26 now. We're totally mature adults, and we're ready to, you know, bring life into the world and care for a human. <clears throat> and you start praying, okay, God, we, we pray for a baby. You just kind of do that. People do that, right? Pray for a baby. And we were like one of the only people in my family who didn't have trouble conceiving. Like everyone else in my family seemed to have struggles of some kind of fertility issues, and, and we didn't. And so when, we, when Abby found out she was pregnant, then we start praying for a healthy baby, you know, God let this baby be healthy and, and wonderful, and then James was born, and he was wonderful and perfectly healthy, and then we go home, and as with any brand new baby and two very inexperienced parents, there come those moments where the baby is crying, and mom and dad cannot discern what needs to happen. Like, the baby is trying to tell you, I want something, and you don't have the ability to figure out whether, okay, is there a tummy ache and you're pumping the legs? Do they need more food? No, they won't eat anymore. Is it, no, the diaper's clean and you're going through the list of normal things and you just can't figure it out. And it gets so frustrating. And I remember there being times it's like, 
I don't know what you want, man. I can't, we don't know. I just can't go to sleep. So we go to sleep and everybody's going to be happier and you get frustrated, right? And about the same time, I went to a conference and it had a bunch of big name speakers and one of them got up to speak on gratitude. And I was like, good, yeah, I'm sure there's some ungrateful people here. You know, that's what I'm thinking, listening to this. And then he said one line that is burned into my brain. And I want to say it exactly right so I don't mess it up. He said, he's going through all these scenarios about people who are complaining about the blessings that God gave them. And he says, you asked for a perfect baby and I put him right in your arms. And now you're going to complain and whine and get upset about the very blessing you begged me for, you ungrateful worm. That's what this guy says from sta- the stage, right? In a full, like, mega church auditorium, I could have been the only person standing there with a spotlight on me. That's how it felt. It felt like God had called me out. I was like, really? Really? You prayed and prayed and prayed for this? I answered your prayer, and now you're going to whine about it? What is wrong with you? And I have remembered that. That has stuck with me for years. And, and the problem, though, is, or the sad part is, that's kind of our reality, how many times have we prayed for something and then after a, while, after a while we start complaining about the blessing? We're ungrateful for what God has given us. You pray for a spouse and then you get a spouse and you end up needling and harping on them all the time. You, you prayed for that job and now you come home every day griping about that horrible job, that oppressive job. You prayed that you would live long enough to see your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and now all you do is spend all your time whining about how awful it is being old. You get... Healthy kids from God, and then you pray that they're healthy enough to destroy everything you own. It's just part of it. How often are we asking God for things, and then he gives us those things, and then we complain about them? And again, the thing about all of this is that it really doesn't matter the amount of what you're given. Whether you appreciate it or don't appreciate it, that is a choice that we make every single day. Am I going to wake up and keep my eyes looking at all the things out there that I don't have, all the way their life is better than mine, or are you going to look at what's right in front of you and say thank you to the God who generously blesses in all seasons? And Israel, you know, they got tired of manna, and it changed the way they saw God even. How crazy is that? God was the one who was there, the one who freed them, who rescued them from slavery, and then all of a sudden, he's cruel. He wants to starve us out here. We're like, he's like a mean kid with a magnifying glass, and we're the ants, and he's just picking us off one by one, and he's horrible. Like, your, your ability to be grateful even shifts the way that you're able to see God. And then Paul, on the other hand, he's getting beaten in every other town he visits and tossed in jail, and he says, okay, keep doing it. I win no matter what you do. Like, It's a totally different way of looking at life. And as you read the New Testament, poor Paul, his life was rough. Like it's, he gives a little like synopsis at one point of his life. And you're like, you're, and you're still on team Jesus after all that happened to you? Good job, man. Like I don't, you know, again, I get sour cream and I'm ready to write off God as being good. And so, um, the idea here is that what we have to understand is that this is a choice that we make every day. Am I going to be the kind of person who opens my eyes and actually sees the blessings that God has already put there because I'm convinced for all of us they are there? Or am I going to fold my arms and be whiny and grumpy about everything that comes my way? Am I going to choose to see the bad in everything or appreciate the good in everything?
And the thing is, again, the blessings of God are yours. I'm convinced that we have things in our life that are good, that God has given us. And, and you can either, again, wake up every day, God, thank you for this. Or you can turn them into some stinky little landmine that you leave everywhere you go as you gripe to everybody that you talk to. Your perspective makes all the difference. And again, it doesn't matter how much you have. What you have in your life is no indicator of your level of gratitude. Again, there's Christians in countries who have less than you've ever had, and they're more grateful, more happy than you've ever been in your life. You know, one of the things, uh, you know, that kept me from ever wanting to go be a missionary was like, I like my comfortable little life. And which made me think like, okay, then the job of being a missionary is to go to the other countries and help them have a nice, comfy life like mine. And it's like, why would I want to do that to them? Yes, they don't have all the comforts, but they're, they're, a lot of these people, they're more joyful than I am. Why would I want to give them everything like I have so they can just be a, a grumpy curmudgeon like me? Like, I, it's an amazing difference that t- comes into our life when we choose to look and see what God has given. And that's what this time of year affords us. You know, Thanksgiving is the time of year when we have a chance to sit down, whether maybe you're with family, maybe you're not, but to say, okay, God has given me plenty to be thankful for, plenty to be grateful for. And to just look around at each of those things and identify them. And then look at God and say, you really have taken care of me. Thank you so much. The trick is, though we are good at doing that once a year, the trick is to do that all through the year. Because God's not just blessing people at the holidays. He's taking care of you all the time. And so we've got to be people, again, who open our eyes and scour our lives to see the blessings of God because there's more in your life than you will ever even see, even when you're trying. This is goodness. So it's time, I think, that we try to open our eyes and be grateful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you take such amazingly good care of us, and far, far too often we choose not to see it. Sometimes we take a little bit of broken pleasure in whining and complaining to people. It makes us feel superior in some sense or better in some sense that that we have more struggles in our life and we're still carrying on in the face of such adversity. And sometimes we're just blind to it. And so I pray, Father, that you would open our eyes so that we can see what you've given us, whether it's just another day of life whether it's our health, whether it's more time to spend with our families, another holiday season to enjoy our grandkids and great-grandkids opening presents, whatever it might be, give us eyes to see the blessings. Don't let us just settle into being ungrateful, grumpy people because there's, that's such an attitude that makes us miss so much of the joy that you're trying to give us in life. And it, it's an insult to you as you give us something amazing and we, we don't thank you for it. We don't appreciate it the way we should. You give us something that should bring us joy and we, we turn it sideways into being something that we just use to gain pity and sorrow from others. And that's not the way the blessings were meant to be used. So let us be grateful people. Give us eyes by the power of your Holy Spirit to see all the blessings you're raining down on us so that our hearts can overflow with gratitude and that gratitude can help us find joy in you like we've never had before. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.